Well, here we are. Uh, Evan invited me to take part two. Uh, as sister churches, uh, we share the same discipleship taglines, which are be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. So my part today is to teach on becoming like Jesus. And most of you, as Aaliyah said, don't know this, but two years ago, uh, Park Hill planted us out. And so we are planting Neighbors Church. We survived 2020. Uh, which was amazing. Uh, when we got rolling, we had just got rolling on the campus of SDSU. Uh, we'd been going for about four or five months, and then I got this weird email, and I thought, oh, okay, we'll be shut down with like this weird like sickness thing for a couple weeks. It'll be fine. Seven months later, we're still on Zoom. It was awful. We survived it, and uh, now we are gathering again, and we just got into a brand new space, so we meet at Adams Elementary in Normal Heights. It's a brand new renovated elementary school, and our little church plant, uh, with the support of you guys and through your prayers, is just absolutely bumping. We're thriving, and uh, we are loving life. I'm actually in the sweetest time of ministry in my entire career. So we just wrapped up our collaboration with you guys doing Future Church. That was a pretty sick series, yes? Did you guys learn a lot through that? I know we certainly did. And now we're looking forward to Christmas Eve with y'all. We're going to be together as a family Christmas Eve as we've done every year since we planted this church. Let's pray. Let's get into it. Oh man, Father, I love this church. I love this church. I love the leaders of this church. You have knit my family to their families. We are one in spirit, one in heart, one in mind, one in mission. It's a privilege and an honor to to be the church here in San Diego together, to collaborate, to love one another, to pray for one another, to seek the justice needed in our city together. And by our love for one another, may San Diego know that we are disciples of you, the great King. And for this morning, I'm asking, Holy Spirit, come. I bow my knees before you, from whom every, fa- from whom every family on heaven and earth derives its name. And I ask that you would strengthen us in our innermost being to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of your unknowable love. Fill us with your fullness today, in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Friends, I want you to realize that all of life is a ongoing process of continual transformation. So from the moment we're born to the moment we die, our physical personage is changing, our psychology is changing, Our emotional structures are changing, and even our spirituality is evolving and changing. We are in a state of constant transformation. Now, sometimes these changes, they happen extremely fast. Take, for example, my 15-year-old son right now, (laughs) Joby. (laughs) It seems like every morning he wakes up over this last year, he's grown by about an inch, And he's getting kind of arrogant now. He's getting kind of cocky because he thinks he's taller than me, but he's not. And so he'll sneak up behind me and like try to take me out in a wrestling match. But like dad strength, it's like a legit thing. I can still take him down, fold him up like he's a little pretzel, keep him in his place. But this has happened like overnight, the physical changes. Most of life though is not speedy. It's not quick. Most of our changes are incremental. 
and our transformation goes almost unnoticed. It's almost imperceptible. There's a little shift that happens in our perspective here. There's a new lesson that we learned there. There's what we thought was an insignificant idea that then begins to radically reshape our worldview over time. There's a moment in therapy where we're given a glimmer of self-awareness that sets us on a different trajectory. And let's be honest, there is a ton of hardship, a ton of difficulties. But through it all, moment by moment, event after event, we are being transformed. And so the crucial question that we all have to ask ourselves, moment by moment, event by event, who are we becoming? Who will you be when this is all said and done? Who am I becoming? I'm going to be 45 in December. (laughs) Yeah, 45. I keep saying to myself, 45, man, that's halfway to 90. (laughs) I'm like way over the hill at this point. And I got to tell you, I am a categorically different human being than I was in my 20s, and I'm very different even than I was in my 30s. And so I keep asking myself, wow, what is, should God grant me that many years, what is 90-year-old Dan going to be like? Who's he going to be? Now, I love who I am right now, truly. I'm finally, 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 after four and a half decades, finally beginning to get comfortable in my own skin. (laughs) I love my friends. I absolutely revel in what I get to do. But I've got to be honest, I am nowhere near who I actually want to be, while yet I am nowhere near what I once was. Incrementally and sometimes categorically, Clismically, like through many a toil and hardship, through all the ups and downs and all the all-arounds, the great potter has been shaping the clay and making something beautiful out of my life and out of your life. And I'll say right here at the midpoint of my life, I am fully aware of how many long, slow stretches. It will seem like there is nothing changing in my life, but I'm still moving forward. I'm also fully aware of how many chaotic corners I will turn in the next 45 years on my approach to 90. But I'm not afraid. I'm actually really excited. Because through all of this, when we are with Jesus, it results in our flourishing. It results in our total transformation. And friends, this is the goal of God in the world. Your transformation. My total and complete transformation. God embodied himself in flesh as a human among us for our transformation. The Holy Spirit, he was poured out upon the church, upon you and I, to utterly transform us. And the end of all things is the, tr- is the transformation of all of creation as heaven and earth become one. And we Christians, being transformed by Christ, We are at the epicenter of that universal transformation project. Paul tells us in Romans that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. What that means is that sunrises and sunsets, crashing waves and mountaintop peaks, 
all are groaning, all are waiting and aching for the full and final resurrected transformation of you and I, the children of God. But until that cataclysmic moment, until then, slowly and incrementally, you and I are being changed in this life. And with every single moment of insignificant, minute transformation, the kingdom of God takes a little more ground in this world. It's the hope that we're holding on to. And one day, radically, with great speed, cataclysmically, Christian theology has always taught that the king will return and all the sons and daughters of God will be fully transfigured into eternal beings and the kingdom of God will finally permeate all peoples and all places for all of time. So let's ask ourselves this question again. Who are we becoming? And as Christians, we answer that we are becoming like Jesus. Jesus is our standard. Jesus is our goal. Jesus is our guide. He is our mentor. Jesus is our source of change. Jesus is the empowerment that transforms us. Jesus is our everything. And we need to understand this, especially in this cultural moment that we find ourselves as late modern Christian people. To become like Jesus is more than like a little tweak here or a shift in perspective there. We are not transformed by just a mere intellectual nod to some ancient beliefs. We have all discovered that moral code-keeping and religious box-checking, it's futile to actually bring about the true transformation of our souls. And friends, Christianity is not a sophisticated self-care program. Christianity is not a life-hack system. Unlike human efforts at change, Christians are radically remade. We are reanimated mysteriously, mystically, and miraculously in the image of God, in the likeness of God. This is why St. Paul declares in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And so through our trust in God, we are reanimated and granted what Evan called last week, I love this language, a heart oriented towards obedience. And that heart oriented towards obedience causes us to become more and more like God. Now, our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters, they literally call this process becoming like God theosis or deification. Deification. We're uncomfortable with that as Western Protestant Christians. No, we are not becoming God, but theosis, deification, sanctification, these big words, they all capture the idea of us partnering with God and participating in God's reality as we are moving in hope toward that final glory that all of creation is aching and waiting and longing for. Peter puts it this way in his second letter. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. So how does this work? Becoming like Jesus is both a passive thing that we receive and an active thing that we pursue. 
It's two sides of the same coin. Theosis, deification, sanctification, becoming like God, becoming like Jesus, is a receiving of his realities and a pursuing after him in relationship. Let's talk about the passive piece here for just a moment. A primary theme of Paul's teachings throughout all of his letters is that, as I've already said, we as believers are now mysteriously It's some sort of miraculous, supernatural event. We have been positionally placed in Christ. This positioning is not something that you and I are working for or striving for or trying to get into or earning or even doing in and of ourselves. We come to God. We trust God. We surrender our lives to God. And God places us in his son, Jesus. Jesus' death becomes our death. Jesus' life becomes our life. Jesus' resurrection is now our resurrection. And most importantly, and this is the meat of this first point, most importantly, as we have been placed in Christ, you and I are now loved as Jesus is loved by the Father and the Spirit. Let me just say that again. In Christ, you and I are loved in the same way that Jesus is loved by God the Father and God the Spirit. We are united with the Trinity. We are made one with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is this delight and joy and adoration Theologians talk about the dance of the Trinity. The Father looking at the Son saying, I love you, Son. The Son looking at the Father and the Spirit saying, I love you, Father. I love you, Spirit. The Spirit looking at the Father and the Son saying, I love you both. I love you more. No, I love you more. This is the eternal dance. And now in Christ, we have been brought into that dance of adoration and joy and delight. And friends, it is this love that transforms us. More specifically, It is the experience and the knowledge of being loved as Jesus is loved that transforms us. To become like Jesus, we must know and experience ourselves as loved as Jesus is loved. This was so important that St. Paul actually made it one of his primary prayers throughout all of his epistles. In Ephesians chapter 3, he prays that the saints would be strengthened in their innermost being to comprehend the height and the depth and the width and the length of the unknowable love of Jesus. At Neighbors, we've actually taken the entire month of November. Our singular practice for the month of November is to memorize the prayer of Ephesians chapter 3, 14 to 21, and pray it every day. Praying to know and experience ourselves as loved by God. And this is what Jesus commended us towards in his farewell discourses in the Gospel of John. John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. I remember reading that verse maybe 10 years ago at a very, very dark moment in my life. And it just leaping off the page. Wait, as the Father loves Jesus? This is the way that I am loved right now. And all I need to do in this moment is abide in that love. John 16, 27, the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. This in reference to how we pray. Our father hears us praying as if we are Jesus praying. Incredible. Incredible. 
John 17, 22 to 23, our desperation for significance answered in this way, I have given them the glory that you gave me. The applause, the adulation, the adoration that the Father gives to the Son, Jesus says, I have given to you that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The more we pray in and participate in this Trinitarian love by faith through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, the more like Jesus we are becoming. We slowly begin to live more and more out of a place of security, what we all want, right? We slowly begin to live out of a place of, I'm accepted, I'm assured, which is the way that Jesus lived, fully confident, fully accepted, fully assured. And slowly we begin to love others like Jesus because we know that we are unconditionally loved by him. And this is our great hope. This is what is fixed for us We need only receive it by faith. Whether we feel in this moment this morning loved or not, whether we feel dry out in the desert or we're just drowning in this experience of God's love right now in this moment, either way, by faith, we are in Christ and loved in this way. And this is what transforms us. My spiritual director and dear friend Rich Plass writes this. Our exaggerated fear, shame, and guilt due to sin are addressed in Christ because in him we are secure, valued, and celebrated as sons and daughters. And we are free. Our egos can relax because the deepest source of our true self, the relational and substantial essence of our truest identity and vocation is now ours in Christ. Now we are free to thrive. We are free to become fully human we are free to become our truest self in Christ. Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit rested upon Jesus to preach liberty to the captives. Christ came to proclaim freedom to the captive within you and to the captive within me. Christ came to set us free, to be the person inside and to be the person outside that we know we were meant to be. Now understand something. To become like Jesus is not to lose who you are. We're not Buddhists. We're not disappearing into nirvana through detachment. We're not losing all sense of who we are and all sense of self. We're actually in the Trinity becoming the fullness of the self that God always intended us to be. We're not disappearing. We're actually appearing. Colossians 3, 3 3-4, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In Christ. To become like Jesus is to be loved as Jesus is. And we have to passively receive that by faith and then, turning a corner here, actively live that out. Make every effort to live the loved life that we have been given by faith. These fixed and concrete realities of being in Christ have to now be worked out into the world. We are loved like Jesus is loved, and we now pursue living out that love, making every effort with and in ourselves. And so becoming like Jesus is passive and it's active. 
This is the section in the sermon as we wrap things up where we answer the question, wow, lofty theology, in Christ, amazing Dan, but what do I do? You believe and receive and listen to the rest of the sermon. Here we go. Wherever Paul highlights in Christ themes, he simultaneously is calling us to actively begin to live out that reanimated life that has been placed within us. So we have to actually walk in our new freedom. We have to live loved as Jesus is loved. And this active pursuit of transformation, it's got a negative component to it, and it's got a positive component to it. In other words, there are things, as we become like Jesus, that we must actively stop doing, and there are things that we must actively start doing. We are to, Paul says, it's so morbid. We are to crucify and kill that which has already been killed in Jesus. The sinful patterns of our flesh are to be, as the old saints called it, mortified, destroyed. We're to disregard, that is, we are to turn a deaf ear to the standards and the pressures and the stories and the narratives of the world around us and instead with all of our effort and all of our focus seek first his kingdom above all else. And friends, though we are modern and scientific and empirical and measured, we are to resist the lies of Satan this very real and malevolent being that lies to us and accuses us day in, day out to be formed and transformed in the likeness of Christ is to resist satanic oppression and lies and renew our minds by the word of God. Paul uses the language of putting off and putting on. Ephesians chapter 4. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I think that Satan has a vice grip on the modern Western church that can only be blown up by that Ephesians 3 prayer praying to know God's love, putting on God's love through prayer. Paul uses the word dunamis, the power of the Holy Spirit, dunamis. We need the Holy Spirit to blow up, to blow up the things that are crunching us and keeping us from this active pursuit of God and his likeness. What Jesus did in this life is he resisted sin perfectly. He resisted the world perfectly. He overcame the devil perfectly. And he obeyed God's will as a human. Jesus is our savior because of that. And he is also our example. On the one hand, Jesus did for you and I what we could not do for ourselves. We have been saved and remade because God has placed us in the perfections of Jesus through faith. On the other hand, as we resist and pursue, like Jesus did, as we repent and obey, we now are actively becoming more like him. Here's what we're going to close with. Four constants from Jesus' life that need to be the four constants of our life. These four constants, they constitute the active Negative, turning from, and the act of pursuing, going after the likeness of God. Scripture, obedience, spirit, and community. For you note takers, four constants. Scripture, obedience, spirit, and community. Let's start with scripture. 
a constant in Jesus's life. Jesus's sense of self, he understood himself. He had a, what I call a psychology of the scripture. He, his whole sense of self was formed by the Hebrew Bible. He was saturated in the Bible. When Jesus sat down and read the texts of the Hebrew Bible, he saw himself in those texts. He discerned his purpose through Torah, through the books of wisdom, through the Psalms, through the Proverbs. Through the stories, Jesus began to understand how to live out the story of his life. He interpreted all the events of his world through the scriptures. When the big questions of life hit Jesus, he answered those questions via the texts of the Hebrew sages. The scriptures for Jesus were his centering and his defining authority. This means that for you and I, in same fashion, we don't shape our lives by the stories of the world. What the world says is success. Who the world says we ought to be, we turn a deaf ear to. That's not our story. We don't even listen to the civil war of our fallen flesh against the spirit. We just turn a deaf ear to the false posturing, false selves that we're constantly trying to create and propagate and manipulate and keep presenting to the world. We learn over time to turn from the false self stories and we saturate our souls in the scriptures and the scriptures begin to form our story and the texts themselves begin to answer the big questions about our lives and our purpose and they become our center and our authority. Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, probably one of the most important theologians of our generation, he offers a really helpful analogy that has helped me think about this in a very specific way. Wright takes the biblical story, the overarching story, and he breaks it into five plays, as if the Bible was a gigantic play. Five scenes from this scriptural play. The movements, he breaks them down, the first four into creation, Genesis 1 and 2. Fall, Genesis 3. Israel, the entire Old Testament, Jesus, the Gospels. That's the first four of these five scenes in this cosmic play. The fifth scene, Tom Wright says, is you. It's me and you. We're the fifth scene of the Bible. We, the church, we are the actors playing out scene five. And the New Testament is what's giving shape to how we go out into the world and, and essentially we're like improving the kingdom of God onto the stage of the world as we're listening to the New Testament and how it gives us wisdom and insight to become like Jesus in this world. But to do this well, friends, we have to immerse ourselves in books like Second Chronicles and Leviticus. Ugh. But we got to do it because Jesus did it. We got to understand how to read those books because those are what fill in what we're doing right now in this world, in this way, as actors in the fifth scene on this stage. We have to understand creation and fall. We have to understand Israel and Jesus so that then we can go forth in the language and culture of our time in modern 2021 San Diego and work out this kingdom of God thing in the world. Scripture. Number two, obedience. Obedience. What a fun word that is. Obedience. As we are living by Scripture... Scripture forms us, gives us a sense of self. We have, a, we have a, a scriptural psychology. Our hearts and lives are oriented towards obedience. 
Obedience becomes our deepest desire, which is exactly what Jesus's deepest desire was. Even when he was confronted with the greatest temptation to deny God's will in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, I don't want to go to the cross. What prevailed was your will be done. And so too for us, we must follow suit in the, in the walking with Jesus. Jesus said some super intense things about obedience. Listen to these scriptures. He said, John 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John 5, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. What I have heard from him, John 8, I tell to the world. Jesus's nourishment, where he found life satisfaction, Jesus's purpose, everything about the man's life, his nourishment was to obey God. Jesus did only what he saw his father doing in obedience. Jesus said only what he heard his father saying in obedience. Jesus obeyed in everything, heart, mind, body, and soul. So friends, this is our aim. We make every effort in everything to obey God, heart, mind, body, and soul, knowing part one of this sermon that we are in Christ, that our failings, our mistakes, our mishaps, and our imperfections are perfected and being perfected in Christ. We are loved unconditionally as Jesus is loved. His life is our life. His death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. But it's obedience in the great big things and obedience in the tiniest, most insignificant things. St. John of the Cross, one of my favorite Spanish mystics, he wrote about the dark night of the soul, and his writings have bolstered my strength to obey God in all things, so many times in all seasons. John of the Cross said, a bird cannot fly if it's held to a pole, and it cannot fly when it's held to a pole, whether whatever is holding it to the pole is a chain or just the thinnest of tiny little threads. What John was saying is, either way, if we're being held to the pole by a chain or something insig insignificant, it's just the tiniest sliver of a thread being held to a pole. John the Cross was saying, we cannot become who we truly are. We cannot fly if we're being held to that pole. I bring up John of the Cross because John wrote to the suffering saints, obedience, friends, and this is the call to you, my Park Hill family. This is the call to the church in this modern moment in the West. Obedience does not always mean blue skies and an easy road. Our king said that his way was narrow. Our king said that if they hated the master, they would hate his followers. And so to be like Jesus is to obey like Jesus in the midst of suffering while sacrificing for others. With Paul, we make it our aim to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Love that. And participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. It's not a sophisticated self-help program, friends. Christianity is not a like life hack system. It is a call to be united with our triune God to be loved as Christ is loved, 
And then it is a call to go forward and suffer for others, to absorb the wrong of the world done against us as the wrong we did against Jesus was absorbed, and to love our enemy, making them our family. The only way we can do this is by the power of God himself, the Holy Spirit. Scriptures, obedience, spirit. We cannot do what Jesus did apart from the Spirit, and Jesus could not do what Jesus did apart from the Holy Spirit. Jesus' inseparable companion during his earthly ministry as a human was God the Holy Spirit. Jesus relied on the guidance and the wisdom and the empowerment. Everything that he said and did was by the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is why Paul exhorted the Galatians, to walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. And so the concrete practical question is, how do we listen to the Spirit, walk with the Spirit, be led by the Spirit? And in churches like Park Hill and Neighbors and this family of churches that we're a part of, we're convinced that the power are accessed through the practices of Jesus. The practices of Jesus open us to, they create in us conduits through which the Holy Spirit can take more control of our lives. Things like scripture reading, which I've already highlighted. Silence and solitude in the stillness. Fasting, prayer. These are the mechanisms by which we avail ourselves to the wisdom and the guidance and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. John Mark Comer, Live No Lies, definitely his best book yet. He writes this. The practices of Jesus are effectively counter-habits to those of our flesh. They are the means by which we access a power from beyond us. They enable us to live from an animating energy and pneumatic, that just means air, spiritual force, and a pneumatic force that is far more powerful than any resource we could possibly draw on. Scriptures, Radical obedience, the practices that avail us to the wisdom and goodness and shaping influence of the Holy Spirit all played out in number four, community. This is our final piece. Community. Jesus lived in the eternal dance of the Trinity. Our God is a community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus brought the divine dance of the Trinity, that holy Godhead community, and he lived in community with his disciples. Jesus knew his disciples, and his disciples knew him. And so the constants of Jesus' life, his scripture reading and formation, his obedience, his spiritual empowerment by the Holy Spirit, it all unfolded in the midst of intimate community. The scriptures tell the story, friends, of the people of God, not the individual of God. Do we realize that? We live the scriptures together. And obedience... We cannot obey as individuals. We cannot obey if we are isolated. Obedience is actually focused on the other. And so we obey as the collective body of Jesus together. And the Spirit, when he comes upon his people, he comes upon his people together. He empowers obedience together. We have been reanimated as a family together. This transformation project, who you are becoming, is not an individual gig. It's not something that you sit down with in your quiet time and your journal and you write out, here's who I will be, and then you go to work. (laughs) 
Rather, you sit down with the scriptures with a heart oriented towards obedience. You cry out through the practices for the spirit to come. And then you embed yourself so deeply in a community that you are known and you know others. This loving, vulnerable, intimate communion with other saints, it is the source of our transformation. Henry Nouwen, he was just another spiritual juggernaut of a generation gone by, wrote about dark nights. And in one of his final books, his friend had persuaded him to publish his journal notes from one of the darkest seasons of his life. It's basically Nouwen counseling himself through a dark night of the soul, full of gems. Listen to the inner voice, something like that is the name of the book. But there's this particular section heading that caught my eye. Nouwen writes, stay united with the larger body. It is important for you to stay united with the larger body and know that your journey is made not just for yourself, but for all who belong to the body. Think about Jesus. He made his journey and asked his disciples to follow him, even where they would rather not go. The journey you are choosing is Jesus's journey. And whether or not you are fully aware of it, you are also asking your brothers and sisters to follow you. Somewhere you already know that what you are living now will not leave the other members of the community untouched. Your choices also call your friends to make new choices. We're going to get ready to come to communion this morning, friends. Hold on to the fixed, established reality. That whether you feel it this morning or not, you are in Christ by faith. Posture your heart to defend itself against the onslaught of satanic lies and declare, I am in Christ. I am loved. I am valued as Christ is valued. I am as significant as Jesus is. And then from that passive place of receiving, go forth into this world and live loved as Jesus was loved. Make the constants of Jesus' life your constants. Soak yourselves in the scriptures. Learn to read the Bible. Let it shape and form your, psycho your psychology and the story of your life. Radical obedience. As we come to communion this morning, some of us are being held to the pole by a chain. God wants to break that chain. Some of us have the smallest sliver of a thread holding us from flying and becoming who we truly are. It's tiny. It's so easily justified. It's so easily excused. It may only be a sin of the heart that nobody knows about but ourselves and Jesus. Obey, obey, cry out, confess, repent, turn, and look to the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to indwell you and to fill you, to give you wisdom, to empower you, to work through you. And then I cannot stress this enough. Commit, commit, commit. Practice, practice, practice community. Be involved, be vulnerable, be courageous, take risks, don't give up. 
set your expectations around reality that there's going to be really awkward, boring nights at community, but you're there together and it's in those insignificant, awkward moments that you're being transformed. And then there's going to be those cataclysmic moments where somebody opens up and the entire spirit just falls upon the group and there is radical transformation. But you will miss it if you are not there. And community, friends, is not for us. It's for the world. By our love for one another, the world will know that we are his disciples. You are being sent. You are being sent as little Christs. To be like Jesus is to be sent into this world as a salvific force, as a saving force, as a people of redemption and hope and joy, as a people of suffering and sacrifice, being sent into this world formed by the scriptures in total obedience, empowered by the Spirit with your community to die for the people, to care for and love the people as Jesus loved you. In and through this, I don't care if you're 18 here this morning or you're 88, in and through this posture of life, when you hit that mark, for me, I'm shooting for 90. You will, I promise you, be fully you. You will finally, finally be fully you. Finally free from the constraints and the oppressions, the opinions of all peoples and places, angels and demons. You will be free and fully you. And I'm telling you, that you will be like Jesus. Just like Jesus. Father, I want to be like Jesus. I want to love like him. I want to sing like him. I want to pray like Jesus. I want to be at peace like Jesus. I want to be assured and confident like Jesus. I want to be deaf to the stories of the world and the civil war of my own soul. I want the scriptures to form my sense of self and I want obedience to be the mark of my life. And when that day comes, Father, when all the shaping, all the reanimating has come to its conclusion in your eyes, and you allow me to depart this earth, I want to sing your praises forever. I want to see myself in you, receive myself fully in you, fully loved, and enter the dance of the Trinity for all of eternity. This is the hope of glory. This is the promise given to the people of God. This is what strengthens our souls. This is what moves us forward. This is why we rise in the mornings. This is why we don't give up. This is why we don't leave. This is why we practice. This is why we discipline. For your glory. And one day, all of us will see each other naked and unashamed, fully ourselves, delighting in each other and all that you've made us to be, like Jesus. In Jesus' name.